This is the MG Car Club Podcast. This week we enter the world of MGs on YouTube with YouTuber Steve Denton. The MG Car Club Podcast. Hello and welcome to another MG Car Club Podcast. Episode 57 with you this week and hope you're well. Hope you're keeping nicely. Hope you've enjoyed the lovely weather we've certainly had in the UK over the last bank holiday and uh, used it as an opportunity to get your MGs out as things start to look towards events and getting out and about at last. And uh, if you picked up the newsletter that the MG Car Club sent out over the course of the weekend, you'll see lots of events starting to emerge, lots of invitations for MG Car Club members on there including an opportunity to attend Bista Heritage as part of a Class of 61 display if you're a midget owner, alongside a iconic display of Jaguar E-types. It's all to be found in the MG Car Club e-newsletter that comes out every Saturday afternoon. Now, in the last week, the MG community lost another legend, another legend of motorsport, in fact, as we bid goodbye to John Sprinzel, who passed away uh, last month. He was born in Germany and his family relocated to England and he made his name as a formidable rally driver, racing driver, event organiser, engineer, businessman, author, commentator and amazingly windsurfer as well. He was a talented and lovely man indeed. He was born in 1930 in Berlin in Germany and in 1934 the Sprinzel family moved to the UK. They set up a shop selling fashion in North London and it wasn't immediately apparent that John Sprinzel was going to turn into the motorsport legend that he was. As a child he was quite ill and he used to read books about sailing and the open seas and that started a lifelong love of water sports which would end up being his final passion. He started work after school in his father's screen printing business and in his spare time, he used to go and work at the local garage, helping out fiddling about with cars down there. And this was what sparked his love of motor racing and engineering. He entered loads of local events. He was a true grassroots motorsport guy. I say that with all accuracy because his very first event, he came sixth in class in it. And it was in his mum's Austin A30. That event was none other than the RAC Rally in 1955. But by 1957, he'd captured the attentions of the BMC competitions manager at Abingdon, Marcus Chambers, as was. And he went on to race then with that support in the BARC National at Goodwood, which he won again in an Austin A35. As a result of that amazing victory, John Sprinzel got on TV. He was interviewed and he said that the car preparation had been done all by a company he made up on the spot called Speedwell. Well, soon after that, the phone started ringing. Other people wanted a car as fast as John, so he had to start that company and run it as his own, which he did. Uh, eventually, he would leave Speedwell when he was headhunted to go and work alongside Geoffrey Healy, developing the Sebring Sprites for the Donald Healy Motor Company based in London. By the way, he sold the rights to Speedwell to a man by the name of Graham Hill, who, of course, would go on to great things in Formula One. He really was mixing it with the great and the good of motorsport in the 50s and 60s. In PMO 200, his trusty Mark I Austin Healy Sprite, he and Stuart Turner, of course the 
Of course, another rally legend won the RAC British Rally Championship. They next won the 1959 BTRDA Rally Championship during the next 18 years racing and rallying. He drove just about every iconic car under the sun from Triumph TRs, MGCs, Minis, HWM, Jaguars and even a Ferrari 250 GTO, which he drove up the Mount Parnassus hill climb in Greece. But his legacy will always be from his work with Geoffrey Healy, where they developed the legendary Sebring Sprite. This took a cheeky and cheap little sports car, re-engineered it and tuned it, turning it into an international race winner. And you can only just imagine what it must have been like for the likes of Sterling Moss racing at Sebring in those 24-hour endurance races over in America, mixing it with those massive thundering American V8s, the Mustangs, the Corvettes and other cars thundering around you whilst you sat in that little Mark I Healy Sprite. In 1973, John retired from motorsport to concentrate on a car dealership initially, but then he moved to Greece, started to teach windsurfing, pursued that passion for sailing and water sports that he'd had since a child, and... John being John, it wouldn't have been enough for him to have just done it quietly, out of the spotlight. No, he then went on to represent Greece in the World Championships between 82 and 84, before moving to Hawaii with his wife, Carol. He's also an accomplished author, and I recommend you read any of John Sprinzel's books on cars or rallying, and lots of them can be still found for sale through Amazon and the usual places. A lasting legacy, really, to his incredible knowledge of motorsport and also a valuable record of those six very special Sebring Sprites that were made during his time with the Donald Healy Motor Company. John Sprinzel then, one of the friendliest, loveliest men in motorsport that we lost in May 2021. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, on this week's MG Car Club podcast, we are going into the world of YouTube and YouTubers and to talk to someone who has built an audience around the work that he does to his MGB. Please welcome to our podcast, Steve Denton. Hiya, Steve. All right, Wayne, how are you doing there, mate? Very good, thanks. Now, we've followed you via your YouTube channel for, well, years for some of us, dedicated followers such as myself. And um, <laughs> let's start with where this idea of YouTubing came from, because if it's not difficult enough on a Saturday morning to get the motivation to lay on a cold garage floor and get that job done on the MGB, you go to the extra lengths to film it so that all of us lot can watch you doing it and hopefully pick up a few tips along the way. So where did the idea come from, first of all? The idea just came about, I just like mucking about with cameras and, you know, I'm the mechanic for a living, this is what I do. I had a couple of years on YouTube where I just thought I'd just film shows, you know, just filming camera going left, right, panning around, just trying to hone those sort of camera skills. I never really intended on being the face of the camera there. But, you know, I, I went down to a friend's to help him out fitting an oil pump to his car. 
And I thought, well, why not instead of being in front, you know, behind the camera, be in front of it and make a little bit of an interaction with the camera of me changing an oil pump and make it a little bit entertaining for an audience while still being real about stuff. So that was my first video. And then really just built up from there. You know, that was the first video. I've done a few videos on a few triumphs. Um, and I just built an audience within the world of Triumph. And then the MGB came about. This was around about two years ago. And it was a car that was, strangely enough, only, you know, the next street along from me. It was stuck in this garage for eight years. I'd walk past it every day when I went to work. Didn't even know it was there. And my cousin found out this car was up for sale through Facebook. Knew nothing about it myself. Went over, had a look at it for... Yeah, I'll give him an offer. It seems a little bit of a rundown tide, buy and find sort of car, worth a go. And I thought, do you know what? That's going to make a great little YouTube project car to, to actually put out there on YouTube and just really just gone from there. Well, the great thing is you involve other people in your videos. And I know that I've seen a few of your videos where you've got sort of um, CRB members, local regional members and people from car clubs in your area. When they've had a problem themselves, they've brought their cars to you and you've actually gone on and fixed them and made a video out of that as well. Try and get other people on my videos. So some people on here may have heard of David Russell Wilkes. Now he's a very good friend of mine. He actually races the MGB and that's a bit of a shout out for him as well because he's got his own YouTube. YouTube channel and you know we, I've had him on my YouTube channel helping me out convert my Sebring um, my MGB to Sebring style um, MGB and again just having other people involved in it just kind of brings about the humanity of the channel so it's not all about me I try and bring it you know I am the personality of the channel but I want it to be also be about people what the classic car scene is about and you know, being a mechanic for a living, if I can help people, I've always said, if my videos help one person, just one person only, then they've done their job. And that's what I try and bring across in my channel is, you know, the, the classic car scene with people and also the mechanics and what is going on around. Well, the great thing about YouTube is it opens up to new audiences what we love to do, doesn't it? It, it shows people for the first time quite often what an MGB is and how easy it is to work on them. And there's no posh big garages here. There's no like sort of four post lifts and TV sets. You are literally outside your home garage, single garage, I might add as well, working on this car as all of us do and keeping it real, I think is the way of describing it, isn't it? But showing how easy it is to actually work on these cars and own them. Definitely, you know, I mean, um, working on the car, you know, all year round. Um, it really does take something to do it on the driveway. You know, when when the rain's coming down and you're thinking, do I really want to be doing this and also filming it? But I don't really have a choice. I've got to do it. And there's people out there who are daily driving MGBs and MG midgets and are in the same boat. And, you know, you do it because I, I do it because I have to do it because I've got no other way of working on it. But that is how everyone else does it so i could cheat i could turn around and say all right i'm going to take them into work i'm going to do it on a ramp you know and make life easy for myself but that would be sort of defeating the object you know you want to keep it real because the home mechanic is going to be doing it on the driveway so if that's the way they're going to do it that's how i'm going to do it on my driveway just to show everybody look you know it's not impossible you don't have to send it to a garage to 
have the work done to it, you can give it a go yourself. And if, as I said, if it encourages one person, that's great. You know, that's that's what I want to do. Well, it's been some really interesting videos, actually, and some of them sharing some real basic fundamental principles of owning classic cars and working on them. I have to say, one of the best videos that I watched from you was explaining the rule of nine when doing uh, tappet clearances. And it's it's explaining things that those of us who have worked on cars for years understand, but actually to new audiences, this is whole new stuff to them, isn't it? Definitely. You know, I mean, I've had quite a few comments from, I, I tend to find like the world of Instagram has come on board with the um, YouTubing. And the world of Instagram tends to be full of a lot more younger audience. And like you said there, you know, people have been in the trade for many years or have had an experience of classic cars for many years, may be aware of these things like the rule of nine or as I've done the rule of 13 on the GT6 project. It just helps people a little bit here and there who aren't aware of these little rules, you know, that which you can use for cars to set up engines, set up valve tappets, or, you know, just time and stuff like that. It's just a nice sort of different way around going, instead of having to look at the, um, the book and get confused by how the engine turns over, you can just do it from one to, you know, number eight valve in a nice easy sequence, as opposed to going, well, I've adjusted that. Okay, cross off that on the book and then do that and then cross off that on the book. It's just a nice, simple thing to do. And again, you know, the more of those sorts of videos that I can put out there, the better, because it, it does help people. Sometimes keeping stuff simple does go a long way. Well, as well as keeping it simple, you also keep it real and honest and you have made some mess ups along the way but what i like is you don't cut them out you explain should you also make the same mistake how you get out of the situation and unlike some of the tv shows that we watch where it's all very polished and everything goes right first time it sometimes really doesn't go right at all for you does it but you do fix it and you show us the audience how to fix it yeah with the uh, Triumph spitfire the exhaust manifold uh, stud broke and you know you're thinking back in your mind as you film this that you could turn around and say okay i'll fix it and i won't show it in the video but you think no i want to show you how you fix it because these sorts of things do happen to people and you're thinking well if you show how to fix it it's going to be beneficial to other people okay i've made a mistake but it benefits somebody else like if the same scenario happens to somebody else so it's really important to keep these things in there mm, absolutely well as you mentioned there, you benefit from having a professional background. You are a mechanic by trade, and so you work on cars for a living. But where did this love of classic cars come from, Steve? How did you end up with this fleet of Triumphs and MGs and classic bikes as well? I know you have. Where did it all begin? It's um, It wasn't a straightforward route as what you'd think. Um, I mean, my dad worked for a triumph dealership but he, he wasn't loyal to triumph in any way shape or form he was just a mechanic you know and um he worked for triumph to get his apprenticeship he went off to nissan and various other dealerships my granddad worked for lotus um but again you know he was a mechanic he went off to various dealerships and you know i started working you know my original interest was actually steam trains and airplanes I didn't really have that much interest in cars, but they were there. And if I saw an E-Type, you know, I could appreciate an E-Type, but my, my true interest was planes and trains. And obviously to afford 
a real you know spitfire that flies in the sky you're looking over a million quid and similar sort of price to for a steam train so you can't really own these sort of things i was going through my apprenticeship i mean i worked with my dad for a little bit and i was going through my apprenticeship and i was just looking at classic cars and thinking do you know what it's a piece of history i've always liked things from the past and it's a piece of history that i could own and do myself and I've got my own control over it and what I want to do with it is up to me it's nobody else it's no committee that owns like five people own an airplane or five people own a steam train or whatever you know this is mine and I can put my stamp over it and it gets funded in my own way and done my own way but it taught me a lot about cars so my first classic car I brought say two years into my apprenticeship was a Triumph Spitfire and that came about because of a walk coming home with one of my best mates when I was at school. I was on the hunt to buy one, got one and say two years into my apprenticeship and as I say, never really looked back ever since. You know, it was a case of, I had to fix that car to go to work. And, you know, it was, you know, I, I just learned so much more from owning a classic car than what I ever did throughout my whole of my apprenticeship. Setting up tappets, setting up carburetors, setting up distributors changing car, you know, a car from a non-overdrive car to an overdrive and understanding the electrics, it's just so much more involved than what modern cars are. You know, modern cars are more electrical, old cars are more mechanical, and I just like the mechanical side of it. And, you know, that grew from there into, like, looking at MGBs and looking at TR6s and the various other fleets that I've got. And the motorcycles, they came around... I was quite late actually, you know, it, was, it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I started getting into motorcycles, but again, it was just something that I wanted to do and put my own stamp on that sort of thing. I don't want to be on modern motorcycles, I like the historic side of stuff, so it's, it's just basically me being me within the era that I like, which is the 1960s. The challenge that the historic vehicle world has is attracting new and younger people into it and into ownership and one of the great things about your youtube channel is it shows the realities of what it's like to own a classic and just how easy they can be to work on but how do you think we encourage more young people to get into this scene that we love so much what do you think are the are the ways that we can encourage more young people into our interest so I think instead of shutting off these um, cars to people and saying, no, don't touch them, don't get inside them, don't do this, don't do that. This is my car. It's worth, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 grand. You know, you're looking at MGCs, uh, they're in the 20 grand mark. I think we've got to be a lot more open about these cars these days and start to say, look, do you want to come in it? Do you want to have a little sit in it? You know, I've started up, you know, can hear the engine running. And I think it's just being more open and more encouraging to people as opposed to saying, this is my car. I've spent a fortune on it. Yeah, you know that that's great for you know if they, it is a concourse car. But I just think that we need to sort of lower down barriers and be more encouraging to to the youth because the fact is the older people get, the less people are going to care about these cars when they are getting older and older. The only way that we can bring them in is to be more encouraging to the younger generation and say, look, these cars are pretty cool. They've got their own personality. The thing is, is they're not chuck away like what a new car is. We can repair them ourselves and get satisfaction out of repairing them and also driving them. You know, it's a different experience to a modern car. And I guess it's a way of expressing individuality, isn't it? Oh, yeah, big time. You know, I mean, with my MGB, so I've tried to go around about some sort of 
originality with it. You know, yeah, the Sebring idea has been done, you know, it's been done quite a few times by quite a few people, but it's sort of my own stamp on it. And, you know, I had a car that was basically fit for the scrap yard and I've turned it around and made it into something that I really like. And every time I look at that MGB now, you know, it can be from 20 feet away, it can be from close up, I can be driving it. And it just puts a big smile on my face and it, you know, my jaw just drops looking at it because I think it just looks amazing. You know, it really does. It's not finished. It's nowhere near finished. The paint job on it is pretty horrendous. But these are things that I'll address over time. But it has put my own individual stamp on it. And I've got so much more I want to do to it over time and share that on YouTube with people. You are an example of what we see more and more now, and I am an example of that as well. Our generation look at classic cars in a very different way, I think, to those that came before, in that we aren't necessarily MG man or Triumph man or Jaguar man anymore, are we? We do appreciate all classic cars, and they all fall under the same banner for us. We have equal enthusiasm for various different brands and marks. And that's been a big shift, isn't it, in the type of people that are buying classic cars now? Oh, definitely. 100% agree with that. Because I think previous generations, you were brought up on, you know, it was the car of your era. So I think in like today's generation, you'd be somebody who would drive a BMW or you'd drive a Mercedes because that's the car that you see in front of you and it's of the current time. But because these cars are historic, we can appreciate them in a different light, you know, and we think, well, you know, I look at that, it's going past me, it's a Riley or it's a, you know, Fiat 500 or whatever, you know, and you're looking at it, you think, good on you, keeping that car out on the road and you just appreciate it that bit more. I mean, I'm not a big Porsche fan, but I look at Porsches going past and I think, do you know what? It's 1960 Porsche. Lovely. It's good to keep it on the road. And that's the thing that I think, you know, like I said, our young generation, we look at these old cars and think there's not many of them left as opposed to a modern car. It's somewhat of a rarity. It's nice to see it. And it really, you know, your eyes light up when you see an old car. You know, you see the black number plates and just something a little bit different. Let's talk about your MGB. How long have you had it? What condition was it when it arrived? And talk us through some of the things that you've done. So when I got the car, um, I, I brought it up two years ago. As I said, it was a barn find. It was stuck in you know, the back of the garage for eight years. It had a seized engine. The brakes were seized on. Um, it was basically looking like a car that if it wasn't, early 60s GT you probably would just break it for parts and that would be it it's got a really strange paint job with it so somehow it's been sprayed and then someone's gone over it with rattle cans and it's got like this mottled ball sort of effect <laughs> across the car you'll have to see it one day it's quite amusing yeah it had chrome bumpers on it didn't work and I just just thought right let's try and get the engine going took the head off you know put a new um every single piston ring was knackered so I put new piston rings in it put it all back together and eventually you know after a while got it going you know I had to put a new starter motor on it high torque starter motor and various things but when I first got that car back into life you know and you're hearing that engine running for the first time and I've owned the car then for around about three months and working on it a little bit at a time around working on other people's cars and my own cars it's just an amazing moment and then obviously you go on from there to saying, right, okay, it starts, it's reasonably solid, it does need a little bit of welding here and there. Let's see if we can get the clutch going. 
you know, got the clutch going, got the brakes going, and the first little drive just locally around the block. And you're thinking, you know, Christ, this thing hasn't run in in eight years. And I had a target was to get it to Sywell pistons and props. And I actually did it. You know, we actually got the car there on display next to my TR6. My cousin drove the MGB there and had them on display. And it's just been, you know, developing ever since there. And then once that was done, I was thinking, right, how can we take this car and do something with it as opposed to it just being another MGB, you know, 1960s MGB? Because obviously the 60s MGB, the Mark One GT, tends to be the most valuable if you leave it alone as it is. But this has been dragged out of a barn. So I wanted to put my own touch on it. And so I just went down the Sebring path with it. And I said, now every time I look at it, I go, wow. And, um, you know, I've got some ideas that I've got tweaking around my head with the engine. I'd like to go with a cross flow head on it and a twin weathers. Um, they're all things you know, to be done down the path and hopefully, you know, we'll get this all filmed and put on YouTube. But yeah, it's, it's one that's, it's a, it's a nice little developing car, you know, and, and it's one that now from coming from a car that originally I was just going to spin and make a little bit of money on, it's now become part of the family of my own cars and it's one that I won't sell because I quite like it. It does look great, as you say, it's got that mottled paintwork, which uh, I think is bang on trend. It's going to catch on, I reckon, Steve. I think you've started something there. And, of course, the yellow skirt from the Sebring body kit that you've added there. And you've done other things as well, of course. you have um, I remember watching you put the exhaust system on it as well, which was a sort of thing that a lot of owners of MGBs have done, especially putting a stainless sporty system on just to give it that, that different raspy noise, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I put the twin tailpipe exhaust on the back as a bit of a two fingers up to the norm, should we say, you know, because as I say, I just wanted to put completely my own touch on it. And with the exhaust, I mean, that's going to stay with the car for as long as I have it. Whether I do change it's going to have webers on it at some point now whether that's going to be webers as a single weber on the current head or whether that's going to be webers on the cross flow head but it will have that exhaust forevermore you know and they're just little different touches of not saying we're going to stick to the rule book with this car i want to break the rule book a bit and you know make it different and put my stamp on it and make it my car but try to still do it within some sort of period sort of look so i don't want to be saying ripping out the engine and changing it for an mx5 engine or something like that you know it's still going to stay within some sort of bounds of period keeps the driving experience and well the overall experience of a vintage or classic car doesn't it to keep it that way definitely you know i mean I fully respect people who want to take out engines and put in modern engines and modern running gear. The MGB that was, you know, there's a few companies out there that are converting them to electric. And again, it's nice to see to future-proof an MGB, but it's on that sort of borderline of, are we losing what a classic car is about? And, you know, that's always what I sort of worry about. You know, a classic car is there to be enjoyed at evenings and weekends. It's not a daily thing. I was going to ask you about electric cars, actually, because it would seem an obvious project for a YouTube channel. But um, as you say, it's interesting to get your take on it because there is an element of removing the experience and the genuine feel 
of a period car, isn't there? In the same way that if a steam train came past you and it was now converted to electric, you wouldn't get the same experience or understanding of what it was. Yeah, I mean, I've ever respected everybody who wants to do that sort of thing. It's, you know, and I'm not going to down talk people who want to do it to keep their car on the road for a different start. I've got issues on it, on my own factor, of that if you convert a car that is a petrol car that is 50 years old to electric and you put in new batteries, you know, you're talking about being more greener to the environment. Well, yes, that car isn't very green to the environment as a petrol car you know, because it's what's kicking out the exhaust. I understand that. But when you convert a car to electric, you've got a battery that's only gonna last 10 years. That's it. And every 10 years, that's a big carbon footprint making that battery and installing it, plus the carbon footprint of re, you know, re-engineering that car to be electric. So I'm not 100% for converting classics to electrics I, I don't think that's the right path to go down however we might come to a time when that's the only path we can go down you know it's horses for courses some people like the look of a classic car but don't necessarily want the quirks that go with them and again every respect to that that they want to go down the electric path and yeah that's cool you know no problem with it whatsoever it's just for me i let's say you know you can tell by what I've said earlier, I like history and I like history to stay as history. And as you go back to the steam train, if you saw a, you know, a steam engine going at full chat past you, but you didn't hear the puff, puff, puff out the chimney, you'd be thinking, well, that's not right. You know, and that's kind of how I feel about classic cars. There's an element of the internal combustion engine that should be there with the classic car. You know, that's kind of what it's about. Now, it's interesting from a younger point of view, what we see as the future of classic cars. It's good to get it out there. And uh, you're not the only one, are you, Steve? Because there is a whole community of YouTubers out there. And I know that uh, during last year, you actually got several of you together to make a video together. Um, that's quite a good fun thing. That's There's a community of YouTubers around classic cars building. Definitely, you know, I mean, so that was me, Kieran and Harriet. Um, Kieran's got an MGB GT. Some of you out there might know Kieran on Instagram with Molly, the MGB GT. He's been on this very podcast just a few weeks ago. So, yeah, Kieran's a good friend. Um, yeah, you know, he's a good mate, you know, and uh, we've met up a few times. Obviously, we went to Caffeine the Machine. Um, you know, done a nice little day out there and Harriet with a Volkswagen Beetle. You know, so um, it, it's just, there's a lovely community of youth within, you know, your classic car scene. Obviously, there's a lot less of us than what there are of the old generation who grew up with these cars, but we are there, you know, as you and I both know in the TR youth, you know, and uh, the MG car scene as well. So we're going to be joining forces with uh, Triumph this year. You know, Triumph and MG are going to be joining forces. And I think that's a wonderful thing to have happen. Well, that's absolutely right. There's some sceptics amongst the old faithful, I'm sure, of a show that combines MG and Triumph. But for younger generations, as we've mentioned, they are all classic cars that we love. And to see them all together in one place is something very, very exciting. It's going to be an awesome weekend, isn't it? I, I, I honestly think it's the way forward, you know, because I think that it's going to go to the point where we are, you know, the older generation getting less. And the only way that classic car scene is going to go forward is to join forces here and there. We're saying like, okay, we're all sports cars. You know, we might end up with Lotus on board and a few other manufacturers that we used to didn't think 
well, why would they be, you know, with those? But I think that's how it's going to go. Yeah, all about collaboration, getting along with each other in this fantastic family of classic car ownership that we have. And, you know, every club can keep its own identity. But if we all work together, we can hopefully make sure that we can continue to do this for many generations yet to come. Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, the more I think we work together with different clubs here and there, the more you learn. You know, if you just stay on one product, you know, just saying, right, just stay with the MGB, but don't look at the midget or or just stay with the midget, don't look at the MGB or don't look outside the box. Sometimes you learn different things by looking at different cars here and there because it's sometimes somebody with, say, something obscure, like, I don't know, somebody in Alpine or something like that might know something that you didn't know that they've been doing on their car and they've been doing within their car group for quite a while. And you think, well let's try that on our car group and it might work differently. And that's what's so great about like, the modern era with communication and stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, um, interesting you mentioned the Sunbeam Alpine because that is on my bucket list of classic cars to own. I'm, I'm going to have to have one at some point. So, yeah, question to you. What's on your bucket list? It's definitely the Tiger, the Sunbeam Tiger. Ooh, okay, the V8 yeah. version. Yeah, the it's because of it was my first classic car experience when I was about I don't know, seven, eight years old. Um, my parents had just divorced, and my mum and dad had a mutual friend who actually had a E-type Jaguar, a Sunbeam Tiger, and he took us around the block. In you know, my mum was in the front, me and my sister, little kids in the back of this Sunbeam Tiger, and it was like I didn't know what this car was to save my life, but a big open top, big roaring V8 engine. It's like wow, this is just magic. And the car then just sat in my mum's garage for around about I don't know, a year or two years. Never looked at it since, you know, it went in the garage. But And that was my first classic car experience. And I just look at the Tiger and I think, yeah, that's a car and a half there, isn't it? You know, I mean, you look at it, it's got the Carroll Shelby sort of history with it and all that. It's just a nice car to, you know, look at, drive. You know, a Tiger, if... My, my old man actually drove this Sunbeam Tiger as well. He said you could wheel spin it in every single gear. It had that much power. <laughs> so unbelievable cars. Can you give us a preview of what's coming up on the channel next? What's the next job on the MGB we can look forward to seeing? So the MGB has taken a bit of a backseat on the channel for a while. Um, it's a bit unfortunate. It's just because of what's been happening to the MGB. So it's not anything negative. It's all positive stuff. It's um, the rear end of the car is now being converted to a Sebring rear. So it's having a nice rear end that's been debumpered. And this is what is gonna come up in the next video. But um, yeah, so this is the next video that's coming out. It will be the rear end of, of the car being converted to a Sebring. And then I wanna go down the path of um, lowering the rear end a little bit and go for a few other little jobs here and there to it. So might get the wings off and start welding up any patches that need welding up behind there. Um, and then it might just be, as I say, working on the engine next. Putting some bucket seats in it. So. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it. And if uh, people want to find you on YouTube, they want to join this community of classic car YouTubers, uh, what do they need to search in YouTube to watch that next video and the videos before if people haven't seen them so just search my name which is uh, steve denton just type in steve denton just type in steve denton and with any of those cars i'll soon come up 
And as all YouTubers say, give us a like and make sure you subscribe. And <laughs> we'll also put a link towards the channel in the description part of the podcast page with this episode here on the MG Car Club podcast as well. And uh, no doubt we'll be sharing more of those videos in the weekly MG Car Club newsletter as well that comes out to you every Saturday afternoon. I'll, I'll be getting more of them made hopefully soon as we'll be working on the MGB a bit more. So. Steve Denton, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Elaine. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.